1: there, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. So you may have noticed that, uh You were stood up last month when we didn't have an episode of the Dublin Story Slam and that was just basically down to the perfect storm of deadlines and commitments and just not enough hours in the day. Normally when we make these podcasts, it's just not something that we can kind of hash together quickly and just kind of throw it out. We always put a lot of time into considering what stories work well together and so unfortunately we did miss our deadline last month and you were left standing out. Outside the cinema with nobody showing up. So, a huge heartfelt um, apology for that. We are back though where, with uh, three brand new stories for you, all of them inspired by the theme secrets. So, this is the Dublin Stories Lab podcast. if this is your first time to listen to an episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast, we are basically a storytelling night that takes place every month in the heart of Dublin's city centre in the Sugar Club, where our wonderful, esteemed and regular host, Mr. Colin Morrigan, guides us through a series of stories um, that are volunteered by you, the listener. Uh, Sometimes people show up on the night who have no intention telling a story and find themselves on stage winning a story slam. So the stories all come from the listeners and the audience members. And the very first story we have is actually nearly over a year old and it comes um, from Eva Dooley. Now Eva Dooley is a well-known uh, Dublin illustrator But Aoife came to us uh, a while back with a story that I think probably took her even longer to to, to figure out what it was all about. Um, It's a story about kind of carrying a secret around with you and maybe that secret only revealing itself later on in life. So sit back, relax, and here is Aoife Dooley on stage at the Dublin Stories Lab.
2: Um, So I'll just start from the beginning because it's kind of a long story. But uh, I was the kind of person in primary school that um, was an outcast. Uh, I had one friend, and uh, we were always the last to get picked to play chasing. Um, and it really frustrated me because she always got picked before me, and she was in a wheelchair. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that that pretty much uh, sums up my primary school. But, um, yeah, I kind of... As the years went on, um, I kind of... Like, friends were far and few. I never really had friends, and I kind of started to kind of, like, you know, see other people do things that I, they found really easy to do, but was really difficult for me to do. And, um, it just kind of... It, you know, it got to the stage where I was in, like, my, my teens, and, you know, like, well, I brought a lot of it on myself because I don't know what I was thinking growing up in Koolock, dressing as I got in the early 2000s. Like, that was my <laughs> fault. But, um... It kind of, it, I kind of started to ask myself the questions, because like, it, it just became apparent that I couldn't do a lot of things that everyone else done, and it raised the question that I'd ask myself for decades later: What's wrong with me? And it kind of, you know, I had went through school and I went through a uh, college, and you know, it just kind of things never really seemed to pick up and I kind of, um, I'd struggled with like uh, depression and anxiety and I knew that these things were, um, I knew that these things like I'd always struggled with but I knew that there was something else that caused all these issues and um, a lot of them kind of started or got worse after my mum passed away and uh, she was 45, it was six years ago and then I was 22 when it happened and uh, it it, it was a really... horrible thing that happened in my life because everything else changed around me. My family broke apart. I had to leave my family home. It wasn't my home anymore. And I decided then, after that, that I wanted to meet my biological dad and uh, I never met before, I didn't know much about him, but I knew since I was six that my uh, stepdad wasn't my biological dad. So I always had that in the back of my head. I want to find out the other person who's essentially half of me. And um, I decided uh, to start looking for him after I finished college because I couldn't get any work, so I had nothing else better to do. So I said, ah, now's the time. <laughs> and uh, I, I, went, I got onto a people search agency in um, the UK called Finder Monkey. And uh, I, I was like, listen, can you find me dad for me? Like, and uh, I go, I don't have enough information. I know his name's Mark Sanders. I think he might have lived on this road. Someone gave me a bit of information. They're like, yeah, we'll look into it. And uh, they got back to me about two weeks later going, listen, there's like, you know, so many Mark Sanders in London Like at this time, like between this age that we think uh, it's going to take us a couple of months to kind of go through all this. And uh, I just tried to get as much information as I could. And then one day I got the call to say, we found your dad. And I was like... Holy shit! And I was standing outside Nando's when it happened. So like, it was like really random place to find out. So me and my friend went back to her friend, to her house, like, and uh, we got on my laptop and or we got on her laptop and started looking up, like, you know, where he lived. And I was like, Oh, what if he's mad rich or something? Or what if he's like really cool, like, you know? Because I always had this picture or image of him in my head, like, that he'd be going around wearing leather jackets and all. And he'd be real cool. But um <laughs> when I met him, when I met him, he was uh, he was actually um, he, he was taller than me. He was funny. He ate a Tesco sandwich a day and he um, drank uh, three bottles of wine every day too. And uh, we were exactly alike, we had the same sense of humour and uh, we had the same thing of putting our foot in it all the time, which is a kind of hard place to be in this day and age because you can't really say anything wrong without being blasted so that's a really kind of scary place for me like at the moment like without without saying something wrong which will make sense at the end of the story but um, I I decided then I went over and I met him and the first time I met him was in the uh, in his kind of corridor and he had like um, a bottle of wine and we met up and I was like oh it was it was mad and uh, he gave me this doll and he asked for it back a week later and I was like what and uh, he, he, I know. And uh, he said something to me. He said something to me. He goes, um, I, "I was like, uh, he goes, I robbed this doll from Tesco.'" And I was like, "I was like, Dad, why'd you rob a doll from Tesco?" And he said, um, "I robbed her because she was in a trolley and she was gonna be fucked out because one of the whites on her eyes isn't on the other eyes." And he goes, eh, "I didn't want her to be fucked out because she's not broken. She just has something different about her." And I didn't realise at the time, but this was something that was going to stay with me and come back up again a couple of years later. And uh, it basically, a couple of years had gone by, two years had gone by, we hadn't really talked much because we had a bit of a fall now. And uh, I was walking the Slimmer World one day and I seen um, uh, these birds fly out of nowhere, these blue tits. And uh, now I was walking through Ballymun, so the only types of birds you see are crows, seagulls and, you know, pigeons. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> didn't know what was going on. And I was like... And these boards started to follow me around everywhere and I, and I, I kept noticing them. But uh, later that day, I found out that uh, my dad passed away and I only found out then, I think it was a couple of months after that, um, the reason what had happened was uh, I was so frustrated because when I found, re- finally realised what he meant about what he said about this doll, I had realised that he was talking about himself and it brought it back to how I felt as well. And uh, he basically, he he had said all these little things that kind of started to make sense in my life. when I was going through a very difficult time. uh, I felt like I was living two different lives simultaneously. So on one side, my career was skyrocketing. And on the other side, I was really, really, really struggling and hiding behind a mask. So everyone could see that I was okay, but I really wasn't okay. I was really in a really horrible place and I kind of, you know, months went by and these boards kept following me and I asked my friend to come over one day and uh, I was still having the same struggles, still had no friends and the the usual and uh, I got my friend uh, to come over and we were going to work on a project together and he said, I don't know why but I just have a feeling, I have to tell you this now, Um, I think you need to go for an assessment and I was like, an assessment? What are you talking about? And he goes, I think you're autistic and I go fuck off, I'm 27, I would know if I was autistic by now. (laughs) And I started reading into it and started looking into it, and everything I watched uh, came back and resonated so much with me, like everything that I'd gone through, all the difficult times that I'd gone through, other people had went through as well, and I decided to book in for an assessment, and I found out on the day that I'm autistic. And I was finally able to stop asking myself the question, what's wrong with me, because there was nothing wrong with me. I'm just me. I don't want to cure myself. I don't need to cure myself. I am who I am. I wouldn't be able to do the things I do today if I wasn't autistic. But then I still have these struggles where I put my foot in it and say stupid things. So please, do give me a break because I do it a lot. But um, it's like when I found out, it was just like this mind-blowing moment that like everything just set into place in my life, and I kind of finally realised like that there's other people like me. I'm part of a tribe now, whereas my whole life I felt like I was like part of nothing. I didn't have any friends. And then I decided, like, just obviously other people. There's people in this audience who don't know they're autistic the same as me, who had the same struggles. And I decided to start speaking out about it. And since i start started speaking out about it, loads of women, especially because women are massively underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, start coming to me and saying, I feel the same way, I've booked in for an assessment. And so many people, t- I got diagnosed last April, and there's been dozens of women who've been diagnosed since... From hearing my side of my story and then, like, them resonating with it and going for an assessment. And I feel like that, like, I'm giving them the gift that my friend gave me of knowing yourself because so, some of us are privileged to to know who we are our whole lives. So I didn't know who I was, and so many people don't, and people take that for granted. And uh, I'm just happy that I know who I am now, and I'm able to help other people figure out who they are. And um, yeah, that's pretty much uh, how I found my tribe, and um, yeah that's pretty much it.
1: (laughs) That was a story from Ifa Dooley whose own journey into autism and I suppose what what it means for her uh, still continues to this day and we were just really honoured that she decided to kind of give us the full story and, and share her own intimate journey into into that world on stage at the Dublin Story Slam. So thanks so much to Efa for sharing that. Um, Aoife, as I mentioned before, is also an amazing illustrator uh, and designer. So we've asked her to design, as part of this year's Dublin Story Grand Slam Championship, our winning certificate that will be presented to the winner of the Grand Slam on December the 8th at the Abbey Theatre and we can't wait to see what she creates for us because uh, she is an incredibly talented um, designer but perfectly captures in her work a lot of the personality of the city and those small tiny little things that may go unseen you know by Dubliners every day but are actually at the heart of the city so yeah it's going to be it's going to be special um our next storyteller is Joe Whelan and it It was one of those stories where you knew there was something coming throughout the entire story. It's expertly told by Joe, but there was just that kind of sense that you were being drawn in closer and closer and closer. And the payoff is absolutely amazing and uh, hilarious as well. So stick with this story right from the very, 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 very start and listen to Joe Whelan at the Dublin Stories Lab.
3: They say females are the fairer sex, and if that's the case, then males have got to be the fair, stupid sex. <laughs> as I can testify from a trip I took to um, Spain a few years ago, a good few years ago, um, I had the opportunity to go on this golfing holiday with a few guys that wouldn't have been my normal mates as such, and I uh, just ended up going with, anyway, and... Uh, I'm the kind of guy who say, if, if I was going on, on a holiday like to Spain, I would always try and use a couple of phrases of Spanish. You know, when you're at a restaurant and you want to the, the menu or order a drink, you know, you try and I always try to speak a few words of Spanish. Whereas the guys I was with, their sole communication uh, was like, say, if you say it slowly and loudly, They'll understand you. Can I we? five pints? Five, five pints to San Miguel there, Tom. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so whereas I always try to, you know, use a few words of Spanish. So in the hotel we were staying in, there was this beautiful receptionist called um, Anita. And I thought it was the perfect chance for me to use my few cuba of Spanish. <laughs> so um, every morning I'd come down and I'd say, Buenos días, Anita Como estas, you know, and she would kind of probably roll her eyes and say, Yeah, you know, she would acknowledge me, you know. And of course the lads were kind of impressed, you know, just this lad knows a bit of Spanish like, you know. <laughs> 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 and um, so it was great and you know, the holiday went well, we played a lot of golf and uh, um, I'd come in the evening and I might show throw a couple of more Spanish words at Anita and you know, asking for the key to the room or whatever, you know. So it went well. <clears throat> So when it was time to go home, I was at the airport and um, I realised I left my phone back at the hotel in my in, in, in the room in the hotel, and then as in now like you know you're lost without your phone and all my numbers I was self-employed all my numbers were on it and I said shit like you know, so I borrowed one of the lads' phone and I said look um, I rang the hotel and I said listen uh, hi I said I'm with that golfing party that were there from Ireland, you know. I said, I'm after leaving my phone in my my room, you know. And of course this familiar voice came on the phone. He said, said, hi, I remember you. And it was Anita, of course, you know. And she said, uh, and I said, look, I'm very sorry. I left my phone. And is there any way you could post it on to me? And I'll gladly pay the postage. And she said, no problem, you know. We'll send it on, you know. So that was great. So we arrived back home and and, uh, I'm um, at home. and, And about a week later, my wife Madeline calls, you know, uh, into the job that I was working on. She said, "Look, your phone arrived." I opened uh, the package because I was going to bring in the phone to you, you know. But it's completely flat, so I stuck it on charge. It's at home, As I said, brilliant. I'll, I'll I'll go out in about an hour and I'll I'll check it, you know, and I'll I'll take it to work because I was saying there must be loads of people calling me and so on, you know. So um, I go home anyway, and uh, about an hour later, and like the phones at that time were about the size of a cigarette box, you know, and uh, it, w- it was quite small, so um, I go home and, and there's this big box on the table It's like a, a six-pack of wine, you know, and uh, I was kind of going, Jesus, that's that's big. Now, the phone was charging away, you know, so I um, I opened the box, which was already opened, and uh, I realized, like, there's a pair of shoes in there that belonged to me, a T-shirt, a pair of shorts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, fuck it, what else did I forget, you know, and, uh, so um, then there's this letter in there, you see, from the hotel, and it's, of course, it's from Anita. And um, so I, I read the letter, you know, and it says, uh, hi, Joe, enclosed is your phone, and your shoes, and your shorts, and, you know, um, your sh- T-shirts, you know, and, uh, and then she said, uh, you might forget your head only for it is on you, uh, you know, I was, I was laughing, you know, uh, sounds like something your mother would say. said, you know, so... Um, And then she kind of finished the letter and she said, I really enjoyed speaking with you all the week, you know. It was such fun, you're such a gentleman. And she said, I just want to send a big kiss to my Irish man, you know. And I kind of... fuck, you know? And I I kind of... My first thought is like, wow, some Spanish... (laughs) (laughs) You know, as I said, the fair stupid sex, like some Spanish girl is actually wants to you know send a kiss to me you know and of course terror then came over me and I said like the box was open my my, my wife must have seen this letter you know and I kind of going oh shit you know and then I said maybe she just took out the phone and left it down and you know didn't really look through the box no. <laughs> so <laughs> and um so I uh, you know I kind of you know, say, yeah, I think, you know, that's okay. So I, I, I started taking out the stuff out of the, the... out of The rest of the stuff out of the box, the shoes, the shorts and so on, you know. And down at the very end of the box, under everything, you know, is possibly the most beautiful pair of white ladies' underwear I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, I I, I, I I picked them up, like, and I, fucking... Holy shit, like, you know, and I... I, <laughs> I like, again, like the two parts of the man, like, uh, one part is kind of going, fucking hell, that girl's spent me her knickers, you know? I said, <laughs> and I was kind of just blown away by this, you know? But, of course, the sensible guy is going, Madeline has just opened this box, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm kind of going, yeah, but, like, she would have freaked... I'd be dead now, you know what I mean? She's seen these, you know? So I'm kind of going, she couldn't have seen them, you know? So I kind of... um. I, I kind of theorised that, like, she mustn't have seen them, you know? So... I did what any man would do in that situation is I put them in my pocket and I said, I have to tell the lads. (laughs) I I just got to tell the lads this story because they just won't believe me, you know? (laughs) So, um... (laughs) I kind of get ready to go back into town anyway, you know, in in Clonmel, and and, uh, just as I'm going out the door, um, my wife pulls in in the car, you know? So I said, "Okay, just, 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 you know, be cool here, you know? I I think we got this, you know? So, uh... So she comes in and she says, um, oh, did you get your phone? I said, yeah, 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 thanks, 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 you know. And, and she said, um, what else was in the box? It's huge, like, you know. And I said, uh, yeah, my shoes and shorts and stuff. I, I left a load of stuff there, you know. And um, she said, and, you know, and I'm kind of gauging her reply, you know, and I'm kind of going, I don't think she knows, you know. And then... Um, she says, like, and this kills me, and she says, is there anything else in the box, you know? And I go, fuck it, she knows, you know. And I, and I, I, I kind of do again, like any man would in that situation, I, kinda, I just wilt, you know, and I, and I kind of go, look, it's, it's, it's not what you think, like, I mean, I, 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 I... I'm making excuses, and I did nothing wrong, you know? And I, and I, And, like, she just kind of leans over and she puts her arm around and she puts her hand to my lip, you know, and she says, the letter is from her, she says, the knickers are mine.
1: Planning for your next trip? absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
0: Bombus. big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: That was Joe Whelan, who had his uh, family there with him. He's told that story many times to them and you can tell because he has it down to a fine art. Nobody knew where that story was going to be ending. So a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant story. So our final story from the night comes from Antonine Gibbons. And Antonine, when she contacted us originally, said that she wanted to warn us that the story was about her experience of having a miscarriage this is something that we've never had on stage before at the Dublin Story Slam but Anthony wasn't really bothered by that because what was driving the story at the heart of it was the real heartfelt uh, desire that this is a subject that more people should be more open with each other about and that kind of summarises what's really at the heart of the Story Slam. It's the idea that you know what, sometimes in Ireland people just don't talk enough, and when you do, the load can be a lot lighter to bear. So this is Anthony Gibbons on stage at the Dublin Store, store.
4: So I think this is a story that often goes untold, and it all starts with my massive boobs. <laughs> So they're not normally that massive. um, uh, But I was admiring them in a hotel room in Westport with my mom and my sister looking at me. And my sister very discreetly said, are you sure you're not pregnant? And she said this very discreetly uh, because there was no way at 37 years of age and recently married, we were going to say it out in front of my mom, So um, to put that in context, like this is a recent quote from my mum, babies, um, they're lovely, they're lovely, but they're a load of shite as well. And um, I wouldn't dream of having one for a held mortgage, and we don't have a mortgage, so all, all very uh, top secret, my sister distracted my mom with the best thing for her bargains in charity shops around Westport, and I snuck off to the chemist like a teenager, went in got the test. And sure enough, as I looked at the stick that I'd peed on uh, up a chem, three plus weeks, holy Shit. Um, So my younger sister, by far the wiser of the two of us, informed me that this, in fact, meant I was five or six weeks pregnant. Um, So I... And she introduced me then to all of the online apps that you can look at, like, to calculate your due date and what to expect when you're expecting. And we calculated my due date, and it was going to be 17th of April. It was my mum's birthday. Um, what, a, what, a, what a sign, like, this is, like, um, meant to be, she'd love it. It'd be a great birthday present when she came round to the idea. And we kind of agreed <laughs> she will come round to the idea and it will be the distraction that we all needed because we had lost my dad last um, year and we thought, you know what, this is going to be a lovely distraction. And... Uh, then I couldn't wait to tell my husband, uh, Brian, that's not said in a smug way, it's just new and weird to say husband, um, so I rang him and he was absolutely delighted and then I, I didn't like the 12 week rule, I was just way too excited and I just started telling, flipping everyone, I was telling taxi drivers, uns, unsolicited, I was like, I'm pregnant by the way, um, and I, I told a friend, I told another friend, I told my cousin, I, I I told the girl in work who was also pregnant because uh, I wanted to share, you know, the sore boob and the peeing every hour stories. And I told the lads in the gym uh, because I might need to change my exercises and because I was so excited. So the lads in the gym, everyone was delighted. Everyone was getting really excited. And then I got the date for my scan, my 12-week scan. And it was going to be a year after my dad had died. And I was like, wow the circle of life, this is all meant to be. It's so exciting. And um, then I booked, but I booked a scan a little bit earlier, like nine weeks, just to, for the reassurance thing. And we walked up, and we were so excited. And then we, we were, like, practically, like skipping up um, Pierce Street and off past the ladies having their morning smoke, pregnant, outside on the street, and in, into the clinic. Um, we were seen straight away, and I laid down, and the first thing, like, the stenographer says, oh, it's pregnancy's really early down, and this will be a bit cold, and I was like, I was ready. And the picture came up so clearly on the screen straight away, and it looked like what I'd been Googling, and I was like, oh, deadly. And then it was kind of silent, and she said... I'm so sorry. There's no heartbeat. Um, and then it was a bit of a blur. And I was like, Brian, are you listening? Because I can't hear anything. And we went into a kind of a plush waiting area that they get you in if you're in these situations. One nice thing, and I try. I then I was like, "Fucking hell! I have to untell everyone this exciting news." And I tried ringing my mom, and I couldn't get through to her because she was at mass lighting candles. Um, so I got through to my sister, uh, who passed on the news to my mom, who could not get a refund on the candles. She would be a rich woman if she could. And um, then then it's just. Uh, Jesus, I—you have to make your decisions. So I'm in Hollis Street, and they're giving me the choices. And um, I wasn't conservative management wasn't recommended for me. I—I um, I went with the the surgery option, which they kind of made sound like. It would be a bit of a breeze. Like I'd be physically better, but I could have two two weeks off work to have facials or whatever in the second week, make myself feel better. And uh, that's kind of what I thought would happen, even though I was grieving and all of that. But holy shit, it does not happen like that. And I would just want to like tell you because um, it was I was ringing Hollis Street a week later talking to a midwife, crying, going, I'm in agony. Did someone put a hole in my uterus? What is happening? And um, after we chatted, we, did, we discovered uh, together that I hadn't had a bowel movement in a week. And this was probably the source of my pain. And if there's anything less talked about than miscarriages, it might be constipation. And I really, <laughs> really think it could do have been talked about a bit more, because it is horrific. Um, <laughs> So I did what any, um, any 37-year-old Irish person would do in the situation. I went home to my mummy, and uh, it was good to save Brian what was about to happen over the next few nights. I, um, uh, yeah, I was in agony. Um, my mom was there every step of the way she was in with the blue glove and the soup cream and suppositories and everything else. I know it's it's too much information, but it's you have to hear it, and uh, and I kind of think I got a flavour of what it might be like to be in labour because she was like, just you know, push, take a break, go for a walk and try again, you know. Let is there anything coming? And, and eventually I was physically backed. My hormones were still playing absolute blinder. Like Brian one evening said, uh, so do you want something for dinner? What one you want home? I'm not hungry at all. Don't even attempt to bring anything home. He doesn't bring anything home and I cry for a full hour going, you don't care about me! And so this was all going on. And then I still had to face more people and tell people. And what I discovered when I started sharing my story, because I said, I'm not going to lie about this. I'm not going to say I was on some lovely holiday there. I'm going to tell people. I had a miscarriage. Um, I told my boss... He was like, "I can talk to Brian if you want." I said, and did all the wrong t- things. It happened to me and my wife as well. And um, a couple of my best friends that had happened to it, happened to my cousin and happened to my auntie. Everyone started sharing their stories with me, and I realized how common this was. And uh, the circle of life, uh, it's, not a, it's definitely not a perfect circle. It's a weird, twisted, messed up shape. And as Zane said, shit happens, or it doesn't, which can be even worse. (laughs) Um, But I'll tell you, it's scary as hell, and I'm so scared about the future, but I know that by sharing my story and realising that you're not alone, it's a lot less scary. Thank you.
1: That was Antonine Gibbons there and a huge heartfelt thank you to Antonine for being so brave to get up and to share what is a very, 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 very painful subject. But shockingly, it's something that happens to so many out there. And so I think the key to it is really is is to open up and to share and not to be afraid to talk about these things. Thank you very much for listening to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. We'll be back um, next month with a very special Christmas episode uh, of the podcast. Uh, We will be back then on December 17th with one last Story Slam. It's our our final of the year. It's going to be a fundraiser uh, for a charity. We'll be revealing all uh, in the next week or so. So if you want to find out when, where, how simply head over to the mailing list at com. if you like the podcast as well head on over to wherever you get your little pods from and leave us a little review as I, as I speak to you now I am coming to you from a wardrobe where I'm surrounded by heavy jumpers and shirts And it's always amazing to think that these kind of stories go from my closet uh, all the way out across the world uh, to reach you in your home. So if you like what you hear, please do let us know because it really helps to keep the podcast going. Okay, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next month on the Dublin Story Slam podcast.